Who are the Mountain Meisters? Committing to the goal and galvanizing you and your team behind that one single focus. Being at peace with that fear and being okay with it. You gain a real appreciation for your life and for what you have. Learn about their extreme lives on rock, snow, and ice with your host, Ben Shank. Hi there. Hello. Hey, you. This is Mountain Meister. I'm Ben Shank, your host. Last week and this week, I've been taking a quick break. You've probably noticed. I've had some repeat episodes out there. I'm doing some skiing, spending some quality time with my family and friends. You should too. And if you have some time in the car or walking or running or whenever you listen to the show, check out the repeat episodes. We're throwing it back to some Hall of Fame Meisters. And to be honest, it's funny because I, the host of this podcast, actually find myself forgetting half of the things that we talk about. So going back to these repeat episodes, even for me, is really, really interesting. Per usual, we've got tons of deals and free stuff. We're giving it all away. It's on our website, mtnmeister.com. It's beautiful. My web designer did an awesome job on it. Her name's Lara. You can see a link to all the great stuff that she does at the bottom of the site. Just click on the name, Lara, L-A-R-A. Anyway, we're giving away a ton of free stuff with the great brands that we partner with on Mountain Meister. Congratulations to the person that won a $275 Coca-Tat dry top by showing us a picture of when you were cold and wet. You deserve something that keeps you warm and dry. Thank you for all the submissions. Really fun to look at. Also, we've got 15% off of everything at mojigear.com. Curated content for climbers and also just a pretty great place to buy your climbing stuff. Just type in the code MEISTER at checkout. Oh, and one last, like, mind-blowing deal that we have is a free audiobook. Completely free. And what's even better, for me at least, is that I get paid every time somebody signs up for a free audiobook. So if you were planning on getting your favorite podcast host a gift for the holidays, don't worry about it. Just sign up for a free audiobook. The link's right on our website. And thanks. We're throwing it back. Episode number 77 with Darcy PQ starts now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Mountain Meister. Today on the show, we welcome Darcy PQ. Darcy, hi. How are you? Hi, good. I'm well. How are you? Good. I am great. Welcome to Mountain Meister. For the Meister fans who don't know Darcy, she is a professional ultra marathoner and one of the best females in the world. She's placed first three times in a row at Hard Rock 100, which, as I've said before, is probably the most miserable thing you could put your body through. We'll talk a little bit about Hard Rock today uh, with Darcy. It's a 100-mile race through the Colorado San Juan Mountains, uh, covers a vertical climb more than the elevation of Mount Everest, and then, of course, you have to go back down the vertical of Mount Everest, which begs the question, why would anybody want to do this? And we'll talk about that today. First of all, Darcy, I read that you did not start running at a young age, did you? No, I didn't. And and thank you for having me. Um, no, I didn't really start running um, until after college. That's Which odd. would be about 
1997, 98. Why? I mean, how, how did you even get into running? Well, I think it was probably my junior year. My junior year in college, I think I, I was traveling abroad. I was living, um, I spent a year in New Zealand and Australia, mm-hmm. six months in, in each country. And um, I was just sort of hit me that I probably needed to start um, taking care of myself a little bit better, mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess. And so... I started I started running very recreationally as a way to, to somewhat stay in shape. And also, as I was traveling, was realizing that it was a really amazing way to see these beautiful countries that I was, at the time, living in. Yeah, it's a great way to see. I, I'm actually starting to train for an ultramarathon, or not an ultramarathon, wow, no, a marathon now. <laughs> um, I'm training for New York City on November 2nd. Oh, great. Yes, and it is a fantastic way to see. I, I just moved to a new city, so I'm exploring around by running. Mm-hmm. It is amazing. I would, I and I've also done, I did a lot of traveling during and, and after college on my own and, and it was just such an amazing way you wake up in a city that you don't know and it allowed me at least to see different things that I probably would never see in a car mm-hmm. or on a bike for that matter so it was it was a really interesting way to explore new places except for the fact that you're running 100 miles now which means that you could <laughs> loop around the cities multiple times <laughs> how how did this transform into mm-hmm. something so absurd well i i basically started to i i graduated college i moved to breckenridge colorado i kind of did the ski bomb ski instructor thing for two seasons and while i was living there i started to to run in the mountains, basically, on on top of doing skiing in the wintertime. And and then after that, I ended up working for the Colorado Upper Bound School. Mm -hmm. And I worked for them on and off for about five years, five summers in a row, and um, was lugging around big packs and uh, going very slowly through the mountains and then realized that, well, if you take off all that weight, you can actually, and put on your tennis shoes, you can actually cover a lot more ground in the mountains by running uh, with very minimal minimal weight. And so I think that really, part of it was just, I knew that being in the mountains and being in nature, overbound definitely opened my eyes to that love of mine. So I, I was just really, I was really at home in the mountains and then just slowly started to discover that that I could I could run through the mountains and 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 you know similar to traveling through new cities I could explore the backcountry in a whole new way and that was a lot a lot quicker than carrying a lot of gear and a lot of weight and also explore yourself probably a little bit more that's right yeah now are, is this your full-time job no not at all um <laughs> it's some people's full-time job, right? It is some people's full-time job. I think it's, for me, no, I, after Breckenridge, I actually moved to Boulder, Colorado and received my master's degree in counseling psychology. So now I, um, I work in a high school in Boulder doing intervention prevention work with high school students and families. So I do that, and then I also have sponsorship, and, and I also do some coaching on the side as well. Okay, interesting. Does a psychology background help with uh, your races? I'd imagine it does. 
I'm not, I'm not sure how much it helps. I mean, I think that I think that having an awareness of how your your mind can really play into a race in particular um, is is really important. I think it's a really important thing to note, and it's an important thing that I think as as athletes to not only train your body, but I always say it's really important to train your mind as well, which for me means time to meditate and and to really learn different ways to sort of let go of some of the thoughts that can creep in. And, and I think that's really helpful, especially during a really, really long race where lots of negative thoughts can creep in um, and somewhat make you want to stop running at any point in time. So Let's move on to the Hard Rock 100 for our listeners, we had Garrett Robbins on the show, episode number 32. And Darcy, I believe you know Garrett, don't you? Yeah, I've known Garrett for many years. Did you guys ever do some running together? Yeah, we have over yeah. the years. Just go on a quick 50-miler together, no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> so that was episode number 32 for our listeners. He talked about hard rock in that episode as well, but it's such an interesting topic, so we're going to talk to Darcy about it too. When you start this race... Darcy, what, what's going through your mind? What are your priorities? I think for me, I always have a goal of, of trying to really have a good time out there. Mm. Um, to, to, like I said, to keep a, a positive mindset, try and keep a smile on my face, and to really enjoy the mountains. The San Juan Mountains are unbelievably beautiful, and it's, it's a very special place for me. I, I used to instruct courses in in that area and um so i think it's just you know constantly reminding yourself that you are in a beautiful place you're really lucky to be to be here those kinds of things um so that's sort of what i'm thinking about and then in that race in particular it, it really draws a special community together it's an amazing group of people which is part of the reason i keep going back to it and um i think that that's the other piece is that you're really you're interacting and and you're catching up with old friends and and you know that have almost become family over the years part of the people or some of the people that are there are your pacers and the relationship with a pacer i find is really really interesting for our listeners who don't know a pacer is you guessed it somebody that's pacing you throughout the course but since it's a hundred miles long you need a few different pacers how many pacers do you have on the course darcy and do they start with you right at the beginning or is this something that enters later on no in general in a hundred mile event the pacer will start at mile 50 at Hard Rock, they actually can start at mile 40 because it is a lot longer and it's just the, the nature of the terrain is so intense that it takes a lot longer. So they allow them at mile 40. I generally don't take one until mile 60. Hmm. And um, I've done it, I think most years I've done it with two different pacers. So someone will run for 20 miles and then the other one will run for 20 miles, for example. Um, Why do you start with a pacer at 60 rather than 40? Um, I haven't always used pacers in the past. Um, On 100-mile so races, you wouldn't use a pacer? Uh-huh, yeah. I, wow. I've done I've done several without without pacers, and and sometimes I end up end up having um, a better race. I, you know, for, for some people, they really want that social interaction and they really feel that they need that, that sort of morale boost. 
Um, and I do think that it can be really helpful. I think in particular at, at a race like Hard Rock, it's very helpful to have someone who also has an extra set of headlights. So for the nighttime, generally that's that's a big piece for me is to have another person at Hard Rock for the, the night section. Mm-hmm. Um because it is so technical and because, you know, when it's very dark out there and, you know, this year in particular, there was lightning storms and it probably wasn't the most, it was, it was pretty dangerous this year at times um, going up peaks in a lightning storm and things like that. So to have someone else there with you, you know, felt a little bit safer, even though that's probably not the case, but most organized sporting events don't allow you to compete during lightning storms when you're at sea level, <laughs> let alone when you're at fourteen thousand feet on the mm-hmm. mountain. It's a mountain race, so you know they. There was a point where before starting up a fourteen thousand foot peak, the race director actually said it was pouring rain. It was the storm had had come in. It was lightning, thunder. And he said, you know, I think it might be a good idea to wait out the storm. And I kind of, having known the mountains enough to know that it wasn't going to, the storm wasn't going to pass anytime soon, I just made the decision that I was going to start going up. I was going to start climbing again. And straight so, into the lightning. <laughs> straight into the lightning storm. So <laughs> I knew it was going to take a while to get to the peak. And so, you know, obviously the most dangerous spot would be on the summit. Would your pacer have any hesitation to head into the lightning storm with you? Would that ever be a problem? You know, he he didn't. I mean, at the time, he just he just came right along. And and you know, fortunately, I had a friend who went with me. He just finished the. His name's Gavin McKenzie, and he just finished an amazing feat summiting fourteen fourteeners. Um, so he's very experienced in the mountains, and he was he seemed to me pretty comfortable yeah. continuing on with me. And and I know I wasn't alone. I knew that there was other runners out there. So there was a group, though, however, in front of us who had stopped. They had found a a, a random person in a tent, and they had they had taken shelter for a bit in the tent. I think what I find so cool about this pacer relationship is that it turns the individual sport of of running an ultra marathon into a team sport, mm-hmm. which is interesting because mm. you're at your lowest lows probably at some mm-hmm. points during mm-hmm. these races, just just emotionally completely torn apart. And then you have to deal with somebody else as a teammate, which could be good or could be bad. Do you consider yourself a team player? <laughs> um, I think that... The cool thing in this sport is that, yes, having a pacer and having someone that sees you at your lowest of lows really forms this bond that you sometimes don't often have with friends. And I think that's part of what links this community together is that, you know, we will sort of share in that and, you know, someone will come pace me and then I'll come and try and pace them at a race and, and you provide that type of camaraderie. It's it's different, obviously, than a team sport, but we can give back to one another at different points in time. And the bond that you form with runners out on the course is just it's unlike any other sport that I've that I've really come across because you really are stripped of as you know as you're running, you're just stripped of everything. The ego and everything is just stripped away, and you know you're just you're in these moments where you're just totally raw. And I think it's amazing how it can bond you to to friends. I've heard that 
most of the dropouts from Hard Rock 100 are mental or or because people can't take it mentally. Mm -hmm. Do you agree with that? Uh, yeah, I would agree with that for, for most, quite honestly, yeah. I mean, I definitely think that there, you know, there are people out there who have to stop for physical reasons. So I don't necessarily know the statistics, but there is, without a, a doubt, in 100 miles, there is suffering involved. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's whether or not you can navigate through that suffering and, and come out of it. I'm going to give you a statistic, which I calculated which I think proves that this race is mostly mental. So your margin of victory for the 2014 Hard Rock 100 was about eight hours. You were eight hours ahead of second place. Mm-hmm. That means that you are about 20% faster, which is huge. That's an incredible margin for a professional sport like this. Usain Bolt Mm -hmm. was 1.23% faster during his gold medal performance in the 2012 Olympics. In bobsled and ski racing, we're talking fractions of a percentage. And this is is on a percentage, so it's adjusted for the time. Even sports that take longer, like NASCAR or even road marathons, the margin of victory is way less than 20%. So mm-hmm. I think that alone proves that it's got to be some sort of mental component. Yeah. I think you just have over 100 miles over that great distance. You have so many elements and so many factors that can play in, or that do play in, to how fast or slow you're going. Um, and, and how often you stop and so many different things that play in a hundred mile race. And, and the truth is for, for hard rock, I mean, you can also look at the numbers of women that have, have gotten in because it is a lottery system. You know, the truth is, is that the, the competition has not been probably at the caliber that it, right. it that it has the potential to be at. So yeah, I mean it's it, there's that factor too. There's mm-hmm. no doubt about it because I know that there are women who who want to get in or who have tried to get in who haven't gotten in through the lottery that would make it much more competitive and would probably reduce that time significantly if not start breaking new course records. Well, and there are probably also people who are physically capable or maybe have the the right genetics to perform well at a sport like this but just aren't crazy enough to do it (laughs) right sure yeah and i think it it is i mean hard rock is a very specific course and race to it plays to certain people's strengths i mean if you're not if you're not comfortable in the mountains and you're not you can't handle high altitudes you're in trouble at hard rock Mm. you have to be able to deal with very very technical terrain um there's all of those factors play in too. And I don't think there's many people that, that want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's move on to how running applies to your everyday life, because that is what we do on Mountain Meister. We'll talk uh, about topics in this extreme example and see how you know they apply to our everyday lives. So mm-hmm. do you, first of all, do you push yourself in other parts of your life the way that you push yourself in running? Are you just like naturally a very competitive driven person or is it just in running? No, it's absolutely in in most areas in my life I would say. I want to try and give a hundred percent with everything I do. And if I'm not able to do that, it's very hard to accept that. Hmm. 
So, uh, yeah, absolutely. I definitely push myself in other areas. When you aren't able to push yourself 100%, both in the races and in your everyday life, how do you deal with it? How do you respond to that? Well, I think it's it's a learning process. And um, just as ultra running is, I think it's it's about at some point, there's only so much we can do. And especially as, as a mom and a parent who's trying to work and train and, and do all these things, you realize, I think, at a certain point that you can't do it all. Mm-hmm. And um, so kind of accepting that and being okay with that and mm-hmm. being okay that that, okay, well, I might not not able to do a hundred percent everything. What happens to you when you don't run for a while? Do you become grumpy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think it even just getting out for half an hour or 45 minutes in the morning or at some point during my day, it, it truly, I can immediately see that it, that it helps. It helps my mood. Um, I'm able to be, I'm able to have more patience throughout the day. If I can start my day that way, it's, it's, it's the best scenario. Mm. And when I'm not able to run, I definitely notice it. I feel it. So you feel better about yourself. Running these distances can't be healthy for you, right? Physically, maybe, maybe <laughs> mentally it can, but it can't be good for your body. Who says that? <laughs> Logic, I think, says that. <laughs> <laughs> You can you can choose not to answer that if you'd like. Oh, you want me to answer if it's good for the body? I, I want yeah, I want to hear your opinion. Is it good for the body? I mean, I <laughs> I don't know if there's much science. I mean, I mean, Western medicine hasn't so much research on this type of an endurance sport. That's the truth. I mean, I think it's hmm. just starting to happen. I think there's been some research on on the heart, and your your heart can become more enlarged. So physically, yeah, that. I mean, I think that obviously it breaks down muscle tissues more so than if you're if you're not running this long of this of a distance. You know, I I've been doing this sport of ultra running for fourteen or fifteen years now, um, and you know, yeah, I mean, I, I see I feel some things now that I didn't feel before, um, but. But I'm not. I'm not convinced that it's that it's bad for you. Yeah, it'll be interesting. At all, it'll be interesting <laughs> to see where that goes in the future. I've been told that I have an enlarged heart before, but I think that was emotionally, not not a physically enlarged. Heart. <laughs> that's pretty stupid. No, well, and I and, and the truth is, is that I think most athletes have enlarged hearts. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I like that. Do you do you ever talk to people? I've I've always wondered this. Do you ever talk to people, I don't know, maybe some people who don't know that you're an ultra marathoner and they complain about something like an injury and they're like, yeah, you know, my knee's been aching lately or something. And you're thinking to yourself, yeah, you know, like the other day I was hallucinating at about mile 85 and hadn't slept for 30 hours and lost count of how many times I threw up. Does that ever happen? I mean, I... I really look at everything as it's all relative. I mean, I realize that this sport is is to the extreme Mm -hmm. and that not everybody understands it. And most people think it's pretty crazy. So everything is just relative to what people do and what people know. So I don't, I I would never feel that, that like discounting, 
what their experience is to to ultra running because it's totally on the extreme end. You're absolutely right about you seeing this as relative because I was watching a few interviews and there's one in particular which I'm going to be posting to your Meister profile page on our website. It is just a riot because the way that you and the person interviewing you are talking about your sport is the way that it's kind of the tone that families use when they're talking about their day at the dinner table, except you're talking about your run. So you're like, yeah, you know, so then I ran into some lightning, uh, which was kind of an issue. And some people were getting hypothermia. (laughs) It's just so extreme with this with this very casual tone. Right, right, yeah. Very funny. Yeah, I mean, I think if you've been doing something for long enough, it just sort of seems normal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which, you know, I mean, I, every now and then you have a reality check and someone comes into your life and it's like, do you realize how crazy this sport is? Yeah, no, absolutely. I, it happens to me all the time, not because I'm doing the sport, but because I'm talking to all these people doing this crazy stuff. And, right. And I forget that... Like I said, I'm training for a marathon. I forget that I would have to, on my long runs on the weekend, I'd have to do that long run 10 more times. And my body feels like it's going to collapse on the cement. Um, yeah. so, so that's what really uh, humbles me. Yeah. And I think, too, you know, I mean, I even even though I've run a lot of 100-milers, I... I could still tomorrow run a 50K and finish it and think, oh my God, I would never want to keep going. So, you know, I just think you you put yourself into a mindset when you get to the start line of a race or the day before a race where you're just, you take it piece by piece, which is is basically how I see life is, you know, it's, it's just one step at a time and that's all you can do. See, now that is really interesting to me mm-hmm. to hear you say that you feel when you finish a 50K that you couldn't go any farther because I, I mm-hmm. mean, how much does that speak to just situations in general that we face in life and the way that we approach them? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, and people will come back and say, I just finished my first 50 miler. I couldn't even fathom continuing to run a hundred, you know, that again. Mm-hmm. And it's, you just, I think that mindset, you know, you can't have that mindset in in this type of a thing because, I mean, that's where the mind really does play in. You just have to, you you know, you sort of have to look at it as going from aid station to aid station mm-hmm. in a 100-mile event. You can't think of it as, oh, my God, I'm going to go run 100 miles. I'm just going <laughs> to face life. But I, I need to go aid station to aid station, and that's then right. I'm going to have to pick up some pacers along the way. Such a great metaphor, huh? <laughs> yeah, I think it's, I mean, I really, I mean, if I could apply all the metaphors that I learn in ultra running to my life, it would be great. Mm-hmm. Very cool. You know, I try. I do try to take that with me. Mm-hmm. Moving on to um, something a little bit more tangible. I mentioned your Meister profile page before. This will be going on your Meister profile page, Darcy. We need a gear recommendation mm-hmm. from you. Well, I think for running, the most important piece of gear is obviously your shoes. So um, I run in in Hoka's, and I run in the Hoka Kailua Trail for women. I couldn't couldn't do it without these shoes. So that's my gear of choice. Very great. Yes, we will throw that on your Meister profile page. Now Now, you said there that you couldn't do this without your shoes. We actually did have somebody on the show who runs <laughs> runs without shoes. I think that's crazy. Have you ever, you think it's crazy? <laughs> I was going to say, have you ever experimented with the barefoot running? No, not really. I mean, you know, 
I, I mean, I have run around on the field and, and tried it out, of course, but um, but no, it's I don't train barefoot. Yeah, yeah. Moving on, I think it's incredible how long this stuff takes. Uh, your long runs mm-hmm. on the weekend are consuming what six hours of your of your time. Sometimes, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and Absolutely. you you have a daughter, like we mentioned before. <laughs> it's got to be a big challenge to be able to balance all of these things. It's a big challenge. It's kind of like a juggling act. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. So, mm-hmm. wh- so what what do you do to juggle these things? Any any strategies out there for other people that are juggling things like this? I think planning ahead is is obviously pretty key. Her her father is also a huge athlete and is is into this stuff. So thankfully, she understands this, and and so we. We help each other out, you know. He he watches her when I'm racing, and and vice versa. And and obviously finding a good babysitter <laughs> and having friends that you can you can do trades with. I think that's really helpful. Is you know finding people that are also active and and saying, hey, I'll watch your kids for a couple hours while you run, and then you can watch mine for a couple hours while I go run. Did you ever get one of those strollers when oh was yeah younger? yeah absolutely I, I it's worn out now it's, it's I've used out its warranty so you, you can't get an off road stroller for the hard rock right <laughs> no definitely not okay. no but the Bob strollers were probably my gear of choice when she was a baby oh great we can yeah I'll throw that on your my server yeah. file page too for yeah our <laughs> Great. Okay. So, so to close, Darcy, you inspire a lot of people. People like you inspire me when I am doing these long runs. And honestly, sometimes when I finish them, I throw my hands up in the air and everybody in Boston looks at me like, what are you doing? Who is this weirdo? But you inspire me to, to keep going and I feel accomplished afterward. If you're inspiring me, is there any athlete out there or type of athlete or person that is inspiring you? I've thought about that and I think I think it's really it's just other friends and athletes that are out there doing this stuff and I mean I guess an example is you know I've been watching um Megan Hicks Brian Powell's partner do the Tour de Géance and and you know watching friends who are going out there and doing you know even longer you know 200 mile runs and, oh and whatnot and seeing them persevere through that kind of a thing and even though you know they're suffering and they're, you know they're having a hard time just watching people persevere and, and you know, seeing photos of beautiful places and running in beautiful places, those are the things that, that really inspire me. Thank you so much for joining me today, Darcy. It has been a, a lovely conversation. For our listeners, you can find out more about today's episode on our website, mtnmeister.com. Check out Darcy's Meister profile page. If you're looking to get into some ultra running, there are a lot of great resources out there. I'll have those posted to Darcy's page as well. So, Darcy, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Hello, Meister fans. Thanks for listening to that episode. I realized that we recorded that in the midst of my New York City marathon training. And I'm already booked for another marathon, the Pittsburgh Marathon, coming up in May of 2015. More details to come in a later episode. I'm addicted. I can't get that feeling of crossing the finish line out of my head. Some sort of weird combination of elation and deep, deep pain. If you listened on the date of this episode's release, it is December 30th. 
2014. One more day left of what was hopefully a great year for you. Next episode of Mountain Meister, we're talking about 2015 and all the amazing things that are going to happen, that we're going to make happen. Stay tuned for that. As usual, enjoy doing the rest of whatever you do when you listen to this podcast. Until next time, have a great new year. I am your host, Ben Shank, and you have been listening to Mountain Meister.